0: Hey, I'm Matt Farr, and you're listening to The Daddy O Show. This is the podcast for all dads wanting to be their child's greatest superhero. Through movement, nutrition, mindset, recovery, and support, The Daddy O Show is for dads by dads. with me today I have Terence Tobin the founder of rich ideas which is a financial planning company he is the father of one a husband a business owner and an investor welcome and thank you very much for joining me Terence
1: hi Matt it's awesome to be on your show and dead heroes and what you guys are doing it's fantastic
0: thank you very much you know, I think we've we've tried to meet up on on Facebook on the private group a while back a couple of months ago and technical failures had me pretty stressed over that and it didn't happen but you know i think leading from that we we decided to to do the podcast and get get chatting about family financial planning
1: looking forward to our conversation and it's such a important and
0: topical area to discuss and delve into no i fully agree with you you know i think financial planning for me was always something that my dad drilled into us as kids you know try and save money uh, where you can and I don't think I'm the best at it, but you know you can always learn and and do better with with going forward in your life as 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 a as a father as as an adult. I think you know and uh, trying to bring it all together and and adulting. <laughs> I think what you've said there's
1: being willing to learn and improve on it. Um, there's always a foundation that we can add to, and no one knows everything. So you know if you ever come across the
0: financial planning guru. I'm sure there's going to be a couple of holes in that armor we can poke. No, definitely, definitely. So I think before we dive in, I think Terrence, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me, you know, who you are, tell me a little bit about rich ideas and you know, tell me about your journey as being a dad.
1: Matt, so I've been in financial services for almost 20 years. I've had my own financial planning business for five and a half years at the time of recording. And I've always been fascinated, intrigued, and enjoy the education, literacy, and empowerment side of things because so many elements to financial planning have been set up and the industry has been set up to baffle people with BS and create complexity. And for far too long, far too many people have been sucked into unnecessary things where really there's a couple of simple foundations to financial planning that if the vast majority of uh, south africans and people worldwide followed would be in a far better financial position and much like you being in the fitness industry it's simple concepts but they're not necessarily easy to do and maintain what got me into it was uh, unfortunately counter to your experience is my family were not fantastic with their finances and I thought there has to be a better way of doing things, and there has to be a different way because that can't be what life is all about. And at the point in time of having this epiphany, I started a little business when I was sixteen and working in a flea market stand. And at that, from sixteen and seventeen, I learned a number of skills. Eighteen, I set up my own flea market stand, and I was the wealthiest matric that year. I mean, I was making twelve to fifteen hundred rand a week profit, working one day a week. But it took all the Uh, things we learned in school. So accounting, I was doing business economics um, and it made it all practical and real. And that's when like the penny dropped, like this can be done. You don't have to be super smart or come from it to run a business. And that's when I went down the rabbit hole. And eventually 15 years later, I've been now working in financial services, doing what I'm doing five years prior to that was in stock market Education and helping people create strategies to invest in shares. And the beauty of that is it can create significant wealth, but it's one asset class, which does come with an element of risk and should be part of a full portfolio. And I realized I could be the person helping everyone out there create that portfolio, that plan, that strategy. And that's what got me into financial services. During that time, I had been dating, and she is now my wife. And uh, seven and a half years ago was the best day of my
0: life when my daughter was born. <laughs> oh, awesome, awesome! So she she stuck by uh, through through all the studying and through the journey of of becoming the financial guru that you are. And it's been quite a journey, um, and I
1: I appreciate her for that. And there was definitely moments and times where days were dark and many storms. Um, but I had conviction in the business I wanted to build, and the practice I wanted to create, and the value I wanted to offer people. And today, I'm able to do that, which is very different to what most uh, experience in the industry. And luckily, 12, 13 years ago, I found someone who was doing things differently, and I've stolen a phrase from him: "We don't, we don't work in the financial services industry. We are financial professionals." And as soon as you are a financial planning professional, or you have a passion for your profession, it changes things completely. You know, an industry is a factory, but what we do is a profession, and that mindset shift changed everything for me.
0: Well, that's that's awesome. That um, yeah, I, I I pretty much say the same thing about fitness. You know, I'm not a I'm not a personal trainer. You know, I'm a I'm a fitness professional, and and I pretty much take the same approach. It's about education, and so I, I like the, I like the fact that. You know you look at it different to to everyone else. I think, you know, I've I've gone through financial advisors in the past. And it's always for me, I've always felt that it's about selling me a product. Like you said, the, the BS of, of financial um or the financial industry. I've known you for sure, I think when did I send you that picture? I think it was about 12 years ago, 12, 13 years ago that we met. You know, recently, I think it was 18 months ago, you you introduced me to Rich Ideas and a different idea around, around financial management, around, you know, financial planning. So I think if you could tell me a little bit about Rich Ideas and what you guys do at Rich Ideas. I think that's what
1: stems from your message now. And what you've said is, unfortunately, as the industry, it's designed to sell products it's not always there to solve solutions and provide options for clients. And we can add tremendous value. I think we probably have one of the most important jobs and influences in a family's life is helping them manage their finances and their money. And the idea behind rich ideas came to me about eight years ago um, and I wanted to change from being, as you've experienced in many South Africans, that typical salesperson, because that's the way it's been set up. And that's the way it's been done for 30, 40, 50 years is, you know, the chap comes and sits in your lounge, asks you a handful of questions and whips out a form that you must sign. And he has a policy to solve all your problems. Yeah, That doesn't exist. You know, there's no magic formula out there. What I enjoy and what I set up was the fact that we are a fee-based practice, so we will provide financial advice and financial planning services at a fee that a client pays, much like you see your doctor, your accountant, your personal trainer, you pay a fee for that knowledge, that expertise, and answers to problems you face. Sometimes we need a product, but often it's not necessary. There's a journey we need to go through first. A product is not the holy grail. It's not the be all and end all. And that's how Richard was set up and how we've grown. And what I absolutely love about it is it excites me every day
0: to get out of bed and do what I get to do. It's an honor and a privilege. That's awesome. That's awesome. I think uh, it's very cliche, but you know, they say when you do what you love, you don't work a single day in your life, right? Correct. Some days we do work, you know, there's always compliance and
1: regulators. Mm-hmm. That's work. The rest of it, yeah, passion. That's awesome.
0: You know, I think the topic of today's chat is about family financial planning. Everyone always says you've got to make sure that you you're financially ready to have a child, you're financially ready to, to get married, etc. What exactly is family financial planning? For me, it's
1: a focus on on families first and helping us make those wise and informed decisions. So starting from we're now in a serious relationship, we are considering getting married or not married, but staying in a permanent relationship. What impact could that have on our future? So it's for me to sit with you and explain the various options. Um, So for instance, cohabitation agreements, or if you're going to get married, understand what it means to be married in community of property or out of community of property. Once we've got those things organized and set up well, Hopefully, if I'm there at that stage, you know, that's the start of the financial planning journey that I have with many families. Some I meet, they now are married, they are considering kids or have young kids. And obviously, as a parent, because that instantaneously changes you um, and in ways that are, I could never imagine and are the blessings of forever. But what do we now do? Because our focus now changes to this person we're bringing to this world and the obligation we have towards them. So how do we protect them how do we protect ourselves how do we provide and probably the biggest one is how do we make sure we can do all of this stuff in a landscape that's forever changing and often with variables we have no control over so who do we talk to
0: and that's where I enjoy stepping in and being that person so basically you know in life we've got these milestones that that we should hit, you know, as, as, as individuals, I mean, it's not necessary that you have to get married nowadays, you don't have to buy a house. But when we have a family, you know, there are certain milestones that we we want to make sure that we, we can achieve. And I think that's making sure that we've got a roof over our head, food on our tables. Ultimately, we want our kids to go, go and study or go to school, go to good school. So financial planning is essentially making sure that we can hit those those milestones comfortably. Absolutely, Matt, and financial planning
1: fits in very well and we use it extensively with lifestyle planning because exactly what you've just said is what life do we want to live as a family and what life do we want to provide for our kids? So the schooling, the holidays, the experiences, and making sure that we can put in plans, systems, and processes to achieve all of that. And with knowing that we've got someone who then keeps their pulse on what's happening, And where we need to make changes, we then have those discussions as regular, as required or as necessary to keep providing the peace of mind, knowing that we can achieve what's important to us, our Mm -hmm. kids, for instance, and then not negating other milestones that we're going to have. So child's now going to potentially, like you said, study further, move and leave the house. So your empty nest syndrome, how do you deal with that? I've got a number of clients having done this for a while that the kids have left Emptiness syndrome, how does that affect them? And also, the retirement phase is massive. It is a very disruptive phase to go through. So, getting married, having kids, having the kids leave, and now having all the time in the world to do
0: what you want, it sounds amazing, but it's often very daunting. Yeah, um, I, I see my parents going through that. You know, I, I think I left home, sure, was uh, quite some time ago, uh, nine years ago. And I've seen my parents go through that. And now, you know, they, they are retired and I think they, they're just starting their lives now again. You know, they they've been together since they were sixteen, had kids, you know, everything was about us, my sister and I. And now I think it's it's time for them to enjoy enjoy life. My dad worked very, very hard, spent a lot of lot of hours at work. A lot of weeks and days away from the house um, traveling overseas for work and i think now is, is, is the chance for them to to enjoy it and you know i think that's something that we all want to look forward to you know it's kind of that bonus at the, at the end of the day for us is to enjoy life you know we, we've worked hard for for what we want to achieve and you know we got to we got to take those those rewards at the at the end of the day but i mean we're still young so And then we've still got a lot of time to go until, until we get there, yourself, myself, and a lot of the other dads in the Daddios group. You know, for me... Like I said earlier, my dad always said, you know, you gotta save money, you gotta put money away. We weren't fortunate. I wouldn't say we weren't fortunate. I mean, we 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 lived a very good life. We my dad worked very, very hard to to climb up the corporate ladder, but we weren't rolling in money, if you want to say call it that. And so it was always important for us to save. Um, very important to to plan how we spent our money, whether we we're spending it on the right thing. And, you know. Entering into my adulthood or my early 20s, I wasn't sure really where to go, what to do, you know, what was first. So the, the question that I have for you is where do we start? Where do we start with with family financial planning or where do we start with financial planning? First point,
1: budget and cash flow. So assuming now that you've studied or left home, there's a bit of independence, you're earning some money. The best way to put good uh, habits in place is with that first paycheck. It's easy to put things right at that first point in time, then later on in your career. So have a budget. We've got to have needs covered. So like you said earlier, we need a roof over our head, food on the table. If ESCOM plays ball, we need electricity. You know, okay. you need transport, communication, etc. Those are needs. Make sure those are not more then 50% of your income, then 30% of your income is once. You want takeaways, you want to go out to movies, you want to go drilling with mates. Those are once. And then 20% of your income from paycheck number one is split between savings and investments. And if you can maintain that from paycheck number one, there will be very minimal, if any financial stress in your life going forward. All the life goals that many people want to go through are easy to achieve. And like you said, that ultimate reward of financial freedom or
0: retirement is a certainty. You know, from their first paycheck you know i think a lot of dads are, are, have received quite a few already up until now but you know they also haven't really had that opportunity to be educated about financial planning if if you if let's say you know there's it's a 30 plus year old who's who's already got one or two children and they haven't really put anything away what would be their first step going forward from there So, Matt, I would, again, recommend let's make a budget.
1: Let's try and, over time, get those percentages in the budget. First port of call, I recommend at least three months of living expenses saved up in what we call the emergency fund, or if I may say, the get-out-of-shit fund, because that's what it's designed for, and at least three months of living expenses. This you're going to have in a regular savings account. Don't worry what the interest rate is. This is kind of like self-insurance. You want that there for when the real problems hit the fan and you need money to bail yourself out. This isn't Black Friday sales or I'm short this month or things like that. This is when there's real trouble. If you're self-employed or variable income, you might want to take that up to six months. But the first port I would get to is at least three months. Once we've got that sorted out, let's ensure the breadwinner and their income because that is your most valuable asset is your ability to earn an income and if something happens or goes wrong medically we want to make sure that then that's taken care of because that's what provides everything else for the family it still enables you to send your kids to school pay for medical aid keep the roof over your head things like that put in place a will that is critical I know we don't like to talk about death, but it is a reality. It will happen and none of us know when it will. Let's plan for it. Let's leave a legacy behind for others that we took the time to think about them, show them that we love them by just documenting our wishes and keeping government out of it. Mm -hmm. Once we've sorted that out, a bit of normal insurance, so your car and home insurance, life insurance, perhaps medical aid, and then general investments, so kids' education, maybe it's taking the missus on your 10th anniversary overseas, saving for retirement, and other milestones you want to achieve. And then regularly review the strategy, critically important.
0: I've always been told, you know, keep keep that money, keep that money aside, that that emergency slush fund. You know, personally, I I never thought there would ever become or, or would ever come a day that I actually have to to get into it and start using it. But I think, you know, going back two years or two and a half years ago, we we realized that the importance of of having that fund you know a lot of people got retrenched or you know salaries were cut i know i i certainly had to dive into that um into that fund over i think it was eight or nine months that uh that i was earning you know less than half a salary etc so i do get that that it is very important to to have that savings set aside living expenses covered you know three to six months i'm self-employed you're self-employed from that from that sort of get-go you know uh, for me medical aid was always a very important aspect or an important thing that i had to have you know growing up personally i i grew up with an autoimmune disease i spent a lot of time in hospital going to different types of doctors and i saw the financial stress that that had on my parents you know i've got a lot of mates who who don't have medical aids you know some who only have a hospital plan and then others that are fully covered from from head to toe you know spending a fortune every month (laughs) i think you know medical aid in south africa i think it is necessary what are your takes on on starting to to budget for for a family with regards to to getting the right medical aid plan or or what to look at from from a medical perspective
1: so medical scheme coverage i do agree with you unfortunately is a necessary evil we have to have it because state provided facilities are not up to scratch for most of us, a really decent hospital plan is great when getting started and as you're planning for family. And like you said, a lot of us are dads already, but if you can cover the normal day-to-day expenses, so the odd GP or gyne visit for the wife, the optometry, things like that, a solid hospital plan is all you really need. A hospital plan is a medical aid. So it's often not thought of as the same, but if you get your hospital plan from a medical scheme, that is massive safety net because what a hospital plan provides is coverage hopefully for those events that occur irregularly, but at a massive expense. And when I said, hopefully the the plan does that, but you hopefully don't have these type of events that occur very often. But should something land you up in hospital, it can be anywhere from 10 to 50,000 rand a day to be there. That is crippling. And that's where you need a decent hospital plan. Now, with day to day benefits, or as you said, like the full medical aid, the full suite, that covers you day to day. It covers you hospital. It also can include chronic benefits and some other little extras, maybe on the side. So, those are where a maximum, and this is a legislative thing, so it's not decided by the scheme itself, 25% of your contribution can be put into this medical savings account. And that's what you use for your GPS, optometry, disc chem, things like that, when you need medicine. If that is not sufficient, you need to then top it up privately with your own savings account. What is a great tip to have, and but it can take some time, is always build up extra savings because cash is king when you go and see doctors. So pay the doctor, negotiate a rate, and then claim it back from your provi- uh, medical scheme if necessary. But also understand the nuances of your medical scheme. Some have threshold limits, some have network doctors, some allow unlimited GP visits at just 50 rand a visit. So always assess your plans. You can make plan changes every November, effective for the new year. So see what the medical aids launch. They normally launch their new plans around October each year and review them every year as your needs might change. I mean, you never know what's gonna happen with your health but if you're planning another child, maybe it's worth bumping up a plan for a euro or two to cover those hospital expenses and the gynae visits, etc. And yeah. then you can downgrade at
0: a later stage. Okay. I mean, we we, we know that having a child is not cheap, you know, and that's <laughs> and that's just the start. You know, those uh, yeah. those gynae visits they 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 are not cheap. I mean, we my wife and I we went say we went the sort of midwife route, so we didn't really see the gynae a lot. I mean, it wasn't, still wasn't cheap to see her on on a monthly basis, but it was it was a very large amount of money that that had to be paid out. Luckily, you know, I I did my research personally to to make sure that I was on the right plan. And like I said, with my autoimmune disease, I had to be, or well, I have to be on a specific plan to to ensure my meds are covered. But it does it does get expensive. My question that I I want to kind of get into is is i know with certain investments uh whether it's like an ra or or life insurance some financial advisors will tell you that it's got to be a certain percentage of of your income of your of your take-home income is there is there any guidance on on medical aids or how much we should be spending or is it specifically down to to our needs around what we really want from from that that scheme
1: no i think it must be matched to needs Uh, So definitely assess needs and we all want it to be as cost effective as possible. Uh, So personally in my family, and it's taken some time to do so, we don't, we only have a hospital plan. We've got our savings on the side. The catch with that is it takes a long time to build up your savings. Whereas traditional medical aids, you get your savings in full in January and you can then go and spend and you pay it off during the year. But the advantage of our route is that it's our money. It's our cash. And we can kind of submit our own claims to our own savings account and you get paid back immediately, you know, that kind of story. (laughs) But if the, you know, something goes wrong, like for instance, this year I had minor wrist surgery, I could negotiate with the doctor, I negotiated with the day clinic. Um, The hospital plan covered my admission for the day for the procedure. Um, There was a small shortfall and that met is where something like gap cover kicks in. Because unfortunately, medical aids can't cover everything. Mm. So again, it's an optional thing. And sometimes it's, I mean, we've paid gap cover now since our daughter was born until my procedure this year for seven and a half years. But what I was able to claim from that is equivalent of seven years worth of premiums. Mm. So it paid itself off. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully I don't have to be in a hospital again for another seven to 10 years, you know, <laughs> the type of story. And it's something minor, like a little risk procedure. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's always going to be um, kind of that risk reward ratio. What are you willing to pay to be covered? And I don't want to make my answer now long-winded, but I was having a chat with a client today and it's a mom, dad, and four kids. They're paying 17,500 a month for medical aid. And he says to me, like, listen, this is getting ridiculous. You know, let's have a look at downgrading. But we looked at his claims over the last 12 months and he submitted hundred and eighty thousand rand worth of claims that were paid so he's basically one to one ratio here mm. so it's not that expensive considering he basically got all his money back for medical procedures and care yeah so assess it regularly as you
0: said yeah. so i mean uh, from a financial planning perspective i mean you know in the past I used to just kind of go, okay, cool, but just put on the medical aid. It gets claimed. I get, you know, the, the claim statement uh, as soon as it's gone through. But I've never really in back in the past, before we had Macklin, was just just let it happen. All right. So, and I think going forward, I started going, okay, cool. Well, what am I actually paying for? I had a, I had a look into it a little bit deeper. So do you think as as, as part of your financial planning and your, your financial management, your your medical aid you have to dive into that. You have to download your your, um, medical claim statements, look at what you're spending as opposed to what you're paying essentially at the end of the day, and then make a decision when when November comes around, whether you want to upgrade, downgrade, or or stay on the same plan. Absolutely.
1: Definitely you must. And as lifestyle changes, uh, maybe you change areas. I mean, for instance, we have a network range of hospitals. We're not on the you know, unlimited plan, if you can call it that, mm. that saves us almost 2000 rand a month, but the network range of hospitals are still the net care and life hospitals. They are still quality hospitals. Mm. They're just an extra 10 minutes drive. What's important here, and it's often misunderstood is those network hospitals are for elective procedures where you've got time. Like me, my wrist surgery, you know, I could book it a month in advance. It wasn't something I had to go next week for the same day. When you're on a network plan, the medical scheme has negotiated better rates with the the, the hospitals, the doctors, et cetera. So they get a discount, which they pass on to you with a lower premium. Mm -hmm. What's critical here is if it's a life-threatening event, so loss of limb, loss of life, loss of sight, any of those are potentially inevitable or could occur, you will be covered in any facility that you are taken to, whether it's network or not. To preserve your life. But where it's something you can opt in for and you've got time for, that's when you go to the discounted locations and the procedures. I mean, it's still the top-notch doctors. You're not, you're not getting backyard things going on here. <laughs> but you must, you must look after it. And as you get older too, you might need to migrate up a plan. Like you said, if now there's chronic medication, there's autoimmune diseases. As we get older, we need a bit more care or bigger claims, you can do so.
0: Okay, awesome. So I think, you know, from a medical perspective, that that kind of does cover one aspect of, of our financial planning. I think for me, the the next thing that came in, you know, when I started working, I started making money. I sat down with a financial advisor and he said, Listen, you know, you work for yourself, but now you need to think of getting an RA as well as some life insurance because you're going to get a tax benefit from it. Right. So I don't know if I was kind of Pushed into it because I was being sold a product for tax purposes, or you know, if I really, really needed it. Needed it, but I mean, I started that relatively young. I think I was 22 when I when I started investing in an RA and 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 life insurance. I think let's let's discuss life insurance. Is it is it necessary to to have life insurance? As oh, oh I was dating my wife, but I mean, we weren't married. I didn't have any assets. Is it necessary to have life insurance? I, I, a lot of my mates don't have it at 36, 37 years old. What What is your view on, on life insurance? It's the biggest waste of money until the day your family needs it. <laughs>
1: so rather buy it a day too early than a day too late. And that sounds maybe a bit tongue in cheek or sarcastic, but life insurance generally is needed in three situations. Okay. Someone or people, are reliant on you financially, and if you are no longer around, it is going to financially impact their lives. If that relates, you need life insurance. There's debt on an asset. The easiest example is there's a home loan on a property, so you want to settle that home loan so your family can keep your home. The third one is when you're young and hopefully healthy, it's cheap and easy to get because you might need it later in life, or you feel a religious obligation, a moral obligation, et cetera, and you just want to have some, maybe your family spent a fortune putting you through varsity. So if something happens, you'd like to give it back to them. But that's that future planning that kicks in at that point in time. Uh, Matt, sadly, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, being in the health profession, illnesses and diseases are affecting people younger and younger. Mm. And to get insurance cover, often people are uninsurable, or there's something that's happened, and now they're going to pay an extra amount and are loading on their premium. So, as much as it does feel like a waste of money at 20, I can get a 20 year old a policy in a day cheaper than they can imagine. And just to throw out an example, I had a lady who bought a townhouse for 890,000 bucks. We got her a million Rand life cover. For 90 rand a month. Sure. <laughs> okay. Like why not buy it? Yeah, 90 bucks. You know, that's like a coffee and a cup of, you know, two cappuccinos. It's, it's, it's not even a thought and she's got no one. She lives on her own, et cetera. But she's like, but if I pass away, my mom and dad can have it. They did so much for me. They can rent mm. it out. They can make five, six grand a month, you know, blah, 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 but it's cheap and easy, but she knows this is the starter home. Mm. So one day she's going to buy something bigger or better. There's other things, and I'll just touch on it very briefly, that's within a life insurance policy that's often overlooked because we focus too much on the life insurance side, Mm. is disability cover, illness cover, like your severe illness, so your cancer, stroke, your autoimmune diseases, things like that, and then the loss of income, as I was saying earlier, to protect the breadwinner because that is your most valuable asset. Those things are living benefits. They will pay out to us should an event occur. And those are worth far, far more in our lives than we can ever imagine. For that small premium, that now means the risk on our balance sheet disappears. It becomes the insurance company's risk, and we pay them a couple hundred bucks a month. Often, it's less than a takeout to get rid of the problem.
0: And for me, it's complete peace of mind. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Um, So, so you know my takeaway on that um not not really talking about the disability but more about taking care of 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 other people you know i think as as fathers we we want to take care of our wives we want to take care of our our kids you know we we want to repay our parents back at the end of the day so essentially you know for me life insurance you've got you got to start early I think that's 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 the key takeaway from that but you know when you when you do sort of say okay cool we're going to get married or we're going to have a habitation agreement um, that's kind of the, the point where you have to say okay cool I have to get this um, and then obviously when you start purchasing your your big assets you're you know being able to cover your car or or, or more, more more so your house um, or your bond is that am I correct in saying that? Absolutely right. And we don't want to get it too technical because I don't want to get on a
1: soapbox. But there's, again, two types of life insurance you can get now, Matt, which one is called whole of life, which is traditionally available in the market, which is what we're used to. You pay life insurance every single month for the rest of your life. And one day when you pass, that money will pay out. Mm. But your risks will reduce over time. Your kids will get older. They won't be reliant on you. The bond will get paid off, won't be necessary to settle it. So you can buy what's called term life cover. So as the risk exists, insure it for that period. So as an example, your home loan traditionally is 20 years. Mm -hmm. Buy 20 years worth of life cover. It is anywhere from 30 to 50% cheaper. Now, still have some whole of life because I do, because like you said, for the missus, uh, maybe for some estate planning, things for the grandkids one day, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But while the kids are dependent on us, 20 years, 25 years worth of life cover, more than enough, because if something mm. goes wrong, at least we know they looked after, but it's very cost effective. That's very cool.
0: See, I, I, I never knew I never knew that. I, did, I didn't know that there were two types there. <laughs> yeah. One mm. other nugget, which is a nice one, is life insurance pays out
1: tax-free. It's sounds... the biggest way to create intergenerational wealth for a tiny amount of money, and I can promise you and show it every single time. And yes, we won't benefit from it as dads with the life cover, it will go to our kids and our spouses. But the amount you pay each month, I and you pass away, the insurance company pays out far more than what you ever paid in premiums. Mm. So, as rude as it sounds, the house will lose
0: and the family will far more benefit. That's cool. That's cool. I like that. I like that. Uh... I like when the house loses (laughs) (laughs) especially the large
1: insurers we want that to happen (laughs) but it's all still sustainable and it's it's not like you know they're gonna go under or anything Mm. like that they've priced that risk uh they know what they're getting themselves into Uh, but i mean it it, the the peace of mind it gives family knowing that no matter what happens kids go to school spouses looked after the home is still there you know as life can continue financially without very little impact for a couple hundred rand a month,
0: I can't think of any better gift I can give my family. Mm-hmm. Again, it's, it's planning for the future. All right. It's, it's planning, it. it's planning for everyone else, but, but yourself essentially at the end of the day. <laughs> um, it's how they're going to remember us. <laughs> that is true. Okay. So, so we've taken care of everyone else. Now, I think, you know, the, the, the next topic to, to discuss is, is, Okay. So we've we've done all this work, we've we've you know worked up until 65, whatever, at that age that we want to retire at, you know, that's when we start focusing on on ourselves and 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 our partners, if we're with our partners. So I think retirement annuities or retirement savings, that's that's the the next topic of conversation. I think let's let's break it down. What is a retirement annuity?
1: A retirement annuity is a product that's been designed generally for self-employed or for business owners, or for those that want to top up their retirement savings. So maybe these not sufficient supplied by their employer arrangement. And it's a investment product where you would contribute either monthly or lump sums or a combination of the two on a regular basis. It's designed to provide you a tax-free growth on your money your contributions you make to it SARS will refund you a portion of that that's called the tax deduction so it's an amazing return on your money because up to 45% or 45 rand for every 100 rand you put in SARS is going to give back to you so i mean that that's just spectacular it will not form part of your estate there won't be executor's fees on it you can nominate a beneficiary and now your funds can grow We can access our retirement annuity money from age 55. You don't have to, but you can. And at that point in time, as legislation stands currently and has been for a long time, you can take out one third of your retirement annuity value in cash and two thirds buys you a monthly income, which people, we call it an annuity or some like to call it a pension. And that's what's then designed to look after you and provide you. So where you are now working and funding the annuity, eventually we turn the taps off and the annuity now funds you.
0: So you you mentioned there, you know, it's, it's primarily a product designed for, for the self-employed or, you know, for people who are sort of have a variable income, what, what options are there for people who, who work for an employer? Um, I know there are pensions, there's there's state pensions, you know, there are policies out there. What, what other options can we, we have for, for our retirement to make sure that we can cover, you know, our expenses when we get older, maybe go see the world and, and reward ourselves at the end of the day in my mind, there's the traditional products and non-traditional products. So your retirement
1: annuity is one of them. If you're employed, so you have to have an employer and an employee relationship to create a pension or a provident fund. So as a self-employed, we can't set up a pension. That's where an RA kicks in. It is identical. So a pension, provident, and a retirement annuity are identical products. It's just the scale or the person who owns it is different. and. When you're employed, obviously, there would be a salary deduction if you're making a contribution or just an employer contribution or both, and that gets invested much the same like a retirement annuity. The difference here is should you leave your employer, you have a couple of options. The one is you could cash it out. I'd recommend against that, but I know sometimes circumstances require, but that's where you definitely need to see a financial planner to get good advice on that. You could transfer that money to your new employer's pension or provident fund. You could leave it in your ex-employer's pension or provident fund. That's a new change to the legislation. Or you could put it into a retirement annuity or what's called a preservation fund. You preserve the money from your previous employer and it will continue to grow. It'll continue to earn interest and dividends and things like that. My recommendation, and again, it's very personable and it's, it's what happens in a situation to situation is never cash in retirement money mm. because as the name says, it's not for today, it's for retirement. But yeah. I understand like during COVID, we had, many people had to make exceptionally difficult con, uh, decisions. And then the catch with pension, provident, or retirement annuity money is if you go the traditional route up to retirement, only a third of it you can take in cash. And some of that might even be taxed, and then the rest buys you an income. You could then also look at supplementing that with things like a tax-free investment account or a tax-free savings account, normal share portfolios, normal unit trusts, and a whole range of other investments if you earmark those as your retirement savings. The nice part about those is that you don't have that one-third, two-thirds obligation You can use those lump sums as and when you wish. So for traveling, there's also different tax efficiencies and other restrictions that may apply both pre and post-retirement. So I think to wrap that all up is there's no one perfect product or one perfect Mm. answer. We need a combination of things to give us that uh, retirement goals that we want and the income needs we need to achieve.
0: So you know, I think, again, my experience was, okay, well, if you want to retire and make you know, get this much money when you retire, this is what you need. I think it was only when I kind of started chatting with you 18 months ago, where I was, I was you know, directed in, in a different path with regards to retirement. That brings us on to, on to investments. I know nothing about it. I will look at, you know, stock markets, uh, charts, and it just looks like, lines and and pretty (laughs) colors going up and down constantly you know i think investments are are there's so many different types of investments and i think it can be confusing for for the everyday Mm. dad you know there's there's obviously crypto which has over the last couple of years blown up and blown up literally gone down into the train and gone up again you know nfts of are, are the new ones that have kind of come out now i think for me investments is about what the goal is what do you want to achieve with it so my understanding is that if you want to go on a holiday you know in, in 10 years time or, or you know you want to celebrate a, a specific anniversary with your wife that you could put some money into specific investments to try and put that saving there obviously having the traditional savings but saying hey, cool this is what I plan to do and this is how I want to get there with retirement with trying to make sure that our family is 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 taken care of if anything were to happen what advice would you would you give give a dad who's, who's looking to 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 start investing
1: so I've been in that boat I can commiserate with all dads in this decision making thing because You know, the, the income is only so much Our pie is only a hundred percent. And how do we cut this up and split it? Mm. So there's two things I want us to differentiate savings and investments. My definition is savings is a term of two years or less. If you're going to need to access this money within two years, you are saving. You are not investing. Okay. And the difference is from a risk point of view. And the biggest one that comes to mind, and there's dozens of risks, but for all of us and me too, because listen, I'm just like us, we all have our biases and our fears. Risk often is that what about if I lose my money or lose all my money or you know, that kind of scenario? Mm. There's so many other risks, and it's, that's for a whole nother conversation. But think of geographical risks, political risks. The biggest one we really should be worried about is inflation, the cost of living. But if you're saving. Your timeline is less than two years. It's saving. Okay. As my personal example, every December, it's big for me. I need it. I take a two and a half to three-week holiday every December. That is savings, guys. Dads, that's saving. I literally put that in a money market in my bank, and that's where I put my money in every month. I really don't know what the interest rate is on that. And to be honest, I don't care. Because come December, if I don't have my 10 grand, 15 grand, 20 grand, whatever number I need, I'm going to be a super grumpy dad Mm. that I can't go on holiday. So yes, it makes me a couple of hundred bucks, but it's more important that I have my 10,000 at the end of the year to go on my holiday. Mm. When I'm now planning for my five-year overseas trip or my daughter's education or lifestyle things, you know, I want a new car or whatever the case may be. And also, Matt, sometimes we don't even have a goal. Mm. And that's also cool. I was chatting to a a dad last week. He's like, I've just got three grand a month that I can invest. I don't know what for. I don't want it in the foreseeable future. That's cool. Like we don't always have to have a goal. Mm. You can just put that money away. Don't be scared to split it up though. So in his case, we've put 500 bucks a month into savings for the just in case and the rest we are investing. And the longer your timeline and the more you are willing to invest in what we call growth assets or your riskier assets, as you said, stock markets or shares, mm-hmm. you know, etc., you would expect volatility in the short term. It's going to move up and down. And as we've experienced this year, it's fallen through the floor. And every one of us, me too, and no one believes it. And I can show statements. I'm also down. We are all down. It's a worldwide thing. No one has got the holy grail yet. Yeah? Mm-hmm. But- I don't care because my stocks are 10, 15, 20% cheaper. They're on sale. The companies are still solid. So I'm buying more and more units or more and more shares or ETFs, whatever structure I'm using. So I'm owning more assets. It's like buying more rental Mm properties all the time. When markets turn, you own more. And as the market goes up, it's almost like a double compounding effect. So the advisor that told you to start investing when you were 22, high five to him, because the earlier we start, Mm. the beauty of that thing called compound growth or compound interest works in our favor. Even if it is only two, three, four hundred bucks a month or a thousand bucks a month, the sooner you can plant the seeds for compounded growth, the better it is. Don't now beat yourself up if you haven't done so, because today is always the best day to start.
0: And and I think you know, I, I stress a lot about about my finances. And I think with investments, it's it's one of those things that you just you go for it and then you you mustn't sit there and watch it. You mustn't sit there, I'm losing my money. Like you, you see the the markets go down, you I'm losing money, I'm just gonna stress about it. It's 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 a situation where it's don't stress, you've done what you need to do, you know, it's gonna pay off in the future, correct? Absolutely correct.
1: I mean, don't don't put your head in the sand, review your plan, review your strategy. Make sure that your funds still align to your goals. Chat your financial advisor. But yeah, nine times out of 10, sitting on your hands and doing nothing is the right decision. Especially, Matt, as you said, like we're 35, we're 40. If we're investing for retirement, that's 20, 30, 40 years away. Mm. Trust me, what happens today, you are not going to remember. I mean, what happened on the 15th of July? You know, what happened on the 4th of April? No one remembers, unless there was a dad's birthday, then happy Mm. birthday to you. But like, (laughs) no one remembers. It's irrelevant. Yeah. You know, but continue your strategy, continue what you're doing. Life carries on. And I promise you over time, it's the best way to create wealth. And what I see, especially with retiring dads who have been investing in a pension or an RA, the massive growth happens in those last five to seven years before retirement, because to make a 10% return on 10,000 bucks is a thousand rand make Mm a 10% return on a million. Well, now we're talking, it's a hundred K, you know? So it takes time. You can't, you can't fiddle with it. You've got to leave it
0: alone. Mm. Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Definitely not. (laughs) Okay, cool. So I think, you know from from that aspect you know we we've, we've made these plans we we've we've kind of put it all together um i think from my side one of the biggest things now is is how do we manage all of this so i know when we get married we we got to discuss with with a lawyer or with our financial planner what type of contract we're going into into with our partner all right it's uh, whether it's um anti-nuptial with cruel etc or or in community of property, but I think figuring out what's going to happen with everything that we've invested in or, or put all our savings away when we die—I think wills are are something that a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people don't have them. I think it's a it's very important to have that conversation with your partner as well as your financial planner of of what to do in in that event. Um, as much as we don't want to talk about it, we we got to have an understanding of it. I know what what is it, last month September. Sure, it's already. That's right. October, yeah, September is is the national will month, if you want to call it that. And and a lot of law firms, a lot of financial advisors offer wills for free. How does a dad go around setting up a will? What needs to go into a will? What what should we you know be aware of when we when we trying to set up a will? Do we go with the banks or you know do we go with specific companies that specialize in 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 wills and executorship? What, what should we be looking out for with, with setting up our will? Okay, so
1: here now starts the next three-hour session. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Matt, I'm so passionate about wills because as you said, and the rough statistic is 75% of South Africans don't have a will or die without one. That's a problem we need to solve. So a couple of basics around a will. A will is your ultimate beneficiary nomination form. Okay, think about that. You can't nominate a beneficiary on your house. Mm. On your car, on your crypto, on what's important to you. So, how are you going to dictate? Now, the beautiful thing in South Africa is we have the ability to decide who inherits and who benefits from our estate. But if we don't do so, then the courts will decide that for us. There's a very rigid law called the Intestate Succession Act, and that decides who benefits. Now, why do you want to give that power to a legal system in the country as opposed to just drafting a two or three page document, like you said, with a professional? There's a couple of things to consider. And I'm talking here rule of thumb stories and generalizations. You want a will that's both legal and executable. Now, what I mean by that is lawyers will draw up the best legal will in the world. I guarantee you that. If you find an, an attorney that actually does wills, so please don't go and phone a trademark attorney. Yes, they did a wills module when they were in varsity, but that's not what they do. Okay. The same way you don't go to your optometrist for open heart surgery. So get your will done by someone who does it. Now, a lawyer will make sure that it's legal but they often don't look, is it executable? And executable means, is there enough funds to be able to do what needs to get done? Because sadly, death and taxes are on absolute certainty. So when we die, SARS wants some money in that pot. The courts want some money in that pot. Your creditors want money from that pot. All these people need to get paid first. And if there's a couple of cents left over, that goes to your family. We want to make sure that those cents become rands. And we want to make sure that we plan that will as tax efficiently as possible with as minimal heartache and delays for family that meet requirements of you, the person drafting it. So, us as dads or men drafting a will are called testators. And as you said, do we now get that done through a financial advisor, an attorney, these trust companies? I would recommend you get it done by people that do it regularly and know what they're doing, have the systems to actually wrap up an estate. So ask them for their track history. Um, I work with a particular provider primarily, and that's all they do is wills, deceased estates, and trusts. Mm. They are not a bank trying to do wills. They're not an insurance company trying to do wills. You want to go to someone that just does wills because they are a in it. They're an expert in it. They know what's happening in the law and they can get it done quickly. And he has a really nice reason why executors are paid lost. So they want to get that will done as quickly as possible. Mm. Now, if you go to your bank, who's got trillions of rands and a salaried employee, you know, if that will takes five years to wind up, well, I still get my salary every month. Who cares? Mm. Mm. Now, there's a big debate about who should be executor and the executor fees Uh, Matt, no one could pay me enough money in the world to be an executor on anyone's estate because I don't want to deal with the courts and transferring of properties and going to Vodacom and Telcom and all these other service providers. Ladies and gents, if there are any ladies listening, the winding up process of an estate is exceptionally complicated when there's a number of assets and role players involved. So make sure that it's done sensibly and correctly. You want it to be comprehensive but simple and easy to execute, and then please don't just do it once. Review it every year or every second year. A will is not like cast in stone. It's not a static document. It's a living document. And for instance, I mean, when my daughter was born, we had particular people as a uh, nominated as guardians, my aunt and uncle. You know, two years ago we changed that because my aunt and uncle retired. They're in their sixties. You know, perhaps, I mean, they're amazing people, but perhaps they don't want to be looking after a four-year-old at that
0: mm. point in their lives.
1: Yeah. So, you know, review it
0: regularly. I I think, you know, when we had one, of, I think it was our first or second session, you know, last year that that we were discussing it. And I said, listen, I don't have a will. I, I, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Do I go to <laughs> CNA and just go and buy one of those, you know, those ones from there? And you're like, no, dude, don't be stupid. So I think you know you you gave me that advice of 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 which way to go. And I think I asked you, and I think when our call we spoke pretty much the whole hour about what do we do, what what should be in it, etc. And and you put me onto onto your service provider. Um, you still use the same people, I'm assuming. I'm yes, hoping. I yes so, I do. Cool. Yeah. So I'm yeah. still happy with that. But yeah, you essentially put me onto them. I met with them. They told me what needed to be done. Obviously you know they they I'm not going to name names on here at the moment or I don't want to name names on on the podcast yeah, but essentially they they told me about different policies that they have so that they can be the executor. you know, I spoke to my dad, I said, listen Dad, I know you know if anything were to happen, would you be the executor and and I think he pretty much turned around and told me to to go fuck myself you know <laughs> he's like, <laughs> I'm not going to do it like I love you, but I'm not going to do it. You know, so I again I think I brought that back to you and and we said, okay, cool, let's let's go go ahead and and go with that specific service provider that you you recommended. And you know, I trusted you and I still trust you with it. I'm still happy with it. But now that's you know my will. And I think in a relationship or if you are married, is it important that both you and your your partner have have your own separate wills? definitely important.
1: Uh, and as you alluded to, I mean, getting a template from your stationary store or a website, we are unique. We are, you know, our situation is not a template. So mm-hmm. please don't do that. But yes, each partner must have a will uh, or spouse should have their own will. Uh, I don't believe in joint wills and we can delve into that at another point in time, mm-hmm. but having a will individually is vital, critical, I mean, things we need to consider, as we said before, is your marital contract. Because if you're married in community of property, the surviving spouse automatically gets half of your assets. So you can't say, I leave everything to my kids, because you're actually only leaving 50%. Mm. You know, is there an accrual uh, claim if you're married uh, out of community of property? Uh, What about business interests? What about maybe there is... um, Other obligations to family. And a big one is black tax. And how will that impact an estate? So, you know, estate planning and will drafting, as you said, we spent almost an hour on it. We can spend hours and hours on Mm. it because it is so vital and so important. Mm. And policies do solve for problems because there's costs to wind up an estate. They're, They're optional, but there's significant value in it. I mean, I believe in it. Obviously, slightly biased because I'm in the profession but I see the solutions that it solves Mm. and to have a will. I mean, sadly I had a client He's a grandpa. He passed away three weeks ago and we've been trying for two years. He's drafted the will. He just hasn't signed it. Every quarter I send him a reminder. Mm. He's passed away now without a will. Yeah. There's no valid will in place and the problems this is already creating. And we're only two to three weeks in is astronomical. Mm.
0: No, I get that. I mean, I think we could sit here all night and talk about what needs to go into walls. And I think maybe that's another podcast. I don't really want to get into it too too hectic at the moment because like i said we 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 will be sitting here talking for ages about it but i think dad's out there you know if you if you are going to go draft your wall speak to your financial advisor you know that they are someone who's helping you through this process and they they are the ones that will give you the correct or should give you the correct information going forward with with setting that up i think you know it's it, it all comes back into the planning right it's Wills winding up estates costs money. It costs it actually costs quite a bit of money. You know, setting up you know any any inheritance for the kids, you know, that's going to cost money. the Executor fees, etc. So I think by by using a a service provider like you said that is proficient in in doing and dealing with wills and executorship, I think it's it's the plan for the future. It's it's in, it's insurance, right? It's it's planning for something that you don't want to happen, but it could happen at any time. Okay, cool. So. I think, you know, those for me, those are the the few areas that that I really wanted to touch on in in this podcast. Is there any anything else that you from a financial planning perspective or as as a financial planner or family financial planner, is there anything that we kind of missing that that is of quite a bit of importance for for a new dad or new family? Don't get too hung up on
1: having the financial plan as opposed to the planning process. The the document is forever going to evolve and change. The outcomes will forever change. Life is going to change. So be willing to change with it. And as new information comes to light, be willing to look at it and assess it. Don't try and do a copy and paste and a one-size-fits-all. And while my mate at the bra said I must buy X, Y, Z, so therefore I'm going to do so. Mm. Do your own due diligence. Do your own research. And interrogate, and I'm going to use that word intentionally, whatever financial advisor you use, And don't be scared to interview two, three, or four of them. I know it might be a bit of a schlep, Mm. but here's someone who you are trusting to give you advice that'll have an impact on the rest of your life. So understand how they are remunerated, how they are incentivized, what is they want out of it? Are they relatable to you? So do due diligence on them as well. Two or three things we didn't touch on that are also critical to always look at is your short-term insurance or your car and home insurance. Look at the bells and whistles your bank offers you because sometimes they tell you things are compulsory and they might not be, or you might forget that you have a policy somewhere. So that's the importance of having regular reviews, looking at things, and making sure that that relationship you have with whoever your financial planning professional is, is one that benefits you, but is also fair and remunerative to them. So if it is through policy, and again, I say policies are necessary, understand how your policy works, understand how your medical aid works, your wills, Uh, not every advisor does everything. And that's also cool because specialization is important. Uh, I have many partners within my business and many companies we make use of because I know enough to give enough guidance, but I know where my limitations are Mm. and I'd rather we get those experts in. And maybe a closing comment on wills, only an attorney can charge you to draft a will. Everyone else has to do it for free. Otherwise, there could be a contravention of the Wills Act and fines or jail time could apply. So I'm often asked, why are wills for free and why don't you charge and what's in it for you? Well, Mm -hmm. legally, I can't charge you. (laughs) But yeah, keep, keep learning, keep asking questions, forever be curious. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Okay. So I think uh, I've pretty much got one last question um, with regards to, to financial or family financial planning. It's a common word that you've said throughout our, our chat here, and that word is review. How often should we be reviewing our plan? You know, I'm, I know, you know, when we sat down again last year, it was about setting goals, right? We wanted long term goal, goals, short term goals, or five, three, two year one uh, goals, right? How often should we be reviewing our, our plans? Is it a six-month thing? Is it a 12-month thing? Is there is there a, a specific timeline that you should be following when it comes to to your family financial plan? I would recommend annually. Some goals maybe you want to check in just to see that
1: you know you're on track, but have that discussion again with the advisor and make sure that your expectations are clear because you know, we're not mind readers, we won't know. But sometimes a goal as well could be quite lengthy. So you might not need to adjust often. So like a retirement savings, you know, unless there's a significant income change or lifestyle change, or etc. You know, that plan is probably good for a little bit of time. Whereas the kids education and as they get older, and you want to start cashing out those investments, monitor those more regularly. But things like your will and your medical aid at the very
0: least, check those every year mm. as well as your insurance benefits. Yeah, you as know, about a, a short-term insurance as well, right? Absolutely. I try and get that every year, get a review on that. Um I push that every year and... Uh, try not to, you know, as soon as they do that increase, I try and get them to bring it back down. (laughs) But I do think that it's important. I mean, I look at everything, obviously from a business perspective, I've got my, my financial goals and my plans, but, you know, I tend to look at sort of every six months, where am I? Is, is, am I still on track, et cetera? So I think it's the same with your, your family financial plan. Are you on track for what you want? What is, what has changed? What is going or what could possibly change? Or if you need to make a, a little bit of a, a direction change, those yearly reviews or those annually reviews will, will come in and, and, and obviously help you stay on top of that plan, making sure that plan is, is, is being executed the way that you want it. Right. Absolutely. And the big exception to all of that is if something happens in the
1: middle of that year, then reach out to your advisor. So Mrs. Falls pregnant, you change jobs, you win the lotto, you know, we don't know. So come talk to us. Mm. Um, But remember, it's
0: your goal, it's your plan, it's your dreams, it's your money. So be involved. Don't just always outsource. Cool. Yeah, I think, you know, from a personal training perspective, you know, for me, it's, it's about working with the client to achieve achieve a goal and i think from a, a financial planner you know hiring or, or working with financial planner you know you said interview tra- uh planners interview these guys to, these guys and girls to, to see if they they got all going to work for you at the end of the day don't just go with the first person that's been recommended you know, do your due diligence and you know see if you fit with them as well. I think that's a, a very important aspect of financial planning. So Terrence, I, I do want to thank you very much for giving me some time in your day. I think we've been on for just over an hour so far. I've learned quite a bit and uh, I think there's a few things that I might have to give you a call about a little bit later. So yeah, I do say, want to say thank you very much. But before we end the call, From a dad's perspective, I think um, I've got two questions that I would like to ask you, not necessarily financial-based, but if you were to be able to travel back to when you were 18, what advice would you give yourself? Invest 20 to 30% of my income from that first income. Awesome. All right, cool. And then the last question, what are your non-negotiable rules as a father? Respect as well as a
1: sense of humor. Ah, daughter and I have the biggest laughs and jokes, but we respect boundaries and
0: respect people around us. That's awesome. That is really, really cool. Terence. Thank you very, very, very much. I know it's it's late in the evening. You know, we both got to go, well, I think the kids have already been put to sleep, but thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Daddyos, I am going to put a link in the show notes with Terrence's social media profiles, as well as his Rich Ideas website. I recommend for Terence. He's he's fantastic. He has he helped me out immensely last year. He took the time to listen to me bitch and moan about finances, what I'm going to do, how am I going to do it. So everything will be in the show notes. Terence, thank you very much. I really really appreciate you joining me on the show. It's a pleasure. And dads post messages in the group, and I'll gladly assist wherever I can. I want to thank Terence for joining me on the Daddy O Show today. I think it's quite important that uh, us as dads we plan properly when it comes to our finances what's going to happen you know when we pass or if we pass. I think he he shared some great information with us tonight. If you want to get in touch with Terence, I will put his links in the show description below and I do again want to say thank you Terence, very much for joining me today on the show. Again if you have like the show please can I ask you the huge favor of subscribing leaving a review and sharing the show with your fellow dads this helps me grow the show and reach new listeners daily thanks very much for joining in and we'll chat in the next one